welcome to the 18th edition of HGF's Fashionably IP podcast. My name's Rebecca Field. I'm a chartered trademark attorney at IP law firm HGF, and I'm joined by my colleague Lee Curtis, also a chartered trademark attorney at HGF. Hello. In this edition of the Fashionably IP podcast, we're going to be going back to interviewing, aren't we, Rebecca? Indeed, Lee. Today we have another special guest. We interviewed Michael Edenborough Casey for our 13th episode of the podcast, where Michael discussed the tricky concept of goodwill in the world of fashion. We strongly recommend you go back and listen to that one if you haven't done so. However, firstly, let us get through the boring bit of things we have to say at the start of all of our podcasts. To be clear, this podcast is not legal advice. And if you have any queries on the points we raise, please contact us directly at either rfield at hgf.com or lee at alpertis at hgf.com or indeed contact our special speaker. So who is our special guest, Rebecca, and what are we going to talk about in this episode of Fashionly IP? Well, in this 18th podcast, we are going to talk to our HGF colleague, Suzanne Moss. Suzanne is going to talk about conducting design searches in the UK and EU for fashion products. So not to delay matters any further, please can you introduce yourself, Suzanne? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career at HGF to date. Thank you very much, Rebecca and Lee, and hello, everyone. My name is Suzanne. I am a Chartered Trademark Attorney at HGF. I've been working here for seven years, having trained and qualified here over those years. Over the past seven years, I've had a wide range of experience, including full life cycle trademark and design protection. No two days are the same, which is one of the favourite parts of my work. More recently, a great deal of my work has focused on design protection, both registered and unregistered in the UK and EU which has proven to be a real interest of mine, particularly scoping out the strength and extent of protection within the different forms and viability of new designs as a result of this. Thank you, Suzanne. So we're going to talk about design clearance searches for fashion products. I will kick off with the first question. Can you explain what are the basic IP rights you need to consider when conducting such searches? Yes, so the first and most obvious is registered design protection, which is available in the EU and the UK which is very similar. It protects the overall visual appearance of a product or the part of a product where these are considered to be novel or and have individual character. Essentially, you're looking for a design that is new and gives a sufficiently different overall impression to a design that has come before. This is the most straightforward right to assess, given that this is registered and clearly defined and visible on the register. The key consideration when looking at registrations is to assess what exactly the images or drawings of the design afford protection to. For example, has anything been disclosed? And this has to be assessed in view of the design corpus at the time of or before the design was filed, giving way for the one-year grace period. So assessing whether the design is novel, which can be a little bit more open-ended, but accounts for part of the assessment as it establishes whether the design is validly registered. The state of unregistered design protection is a little messier following Brexit, but it's still something that we have to consider when assessing a new design. There are now essentially four different headings of unregistered design protection. These are UK unregistered design protection, EU unregistered design protection, UK continuing unregistered design protection, and UK supplementary design protection. Although a bit of a mouthful, this can be broken down in the sense that UK unregistered design protection is the outlier insofar as the scope of protection. This only protects shape and configuration, and in terms of its duration, this only lasts for 10 years. EU unregistered design protection, UK continuing, 
and supplementary design protection can essentially be grouped together to some degree, as they all afford similar protection to that of the registered rights discussed before. The key difference is that the UK continuing and the UK supplementary design protection were created to fill the gap of EU unregistered design protection following Brexit, which used to have a wider scope of protection in the EU, but subsequently does not. UK continuing design protection covers any design made available in the UK or EU before the 1st of January 2021, i.e. to continue the cover of the EU unregistered design protection would afford. And UK supplementary design protection applies for any design made available in the UK after the 1st of January 2021. So that same level of protection is available. Essentially, it's supplemented. All of these rights last for three years. As a final note, when looking at designs, we still have to consider trademarks and goodwill, which would be protectable under passing off. Trademarks can protect shapes as well as logos and position marks, and so can play an important role within certain goods. And further, where a design may be particularly well-known or iconic, it's still possible that there could be a valid claim for goodwill. Generally, this is harder to assert, and it's rarely available, but it's still a very valid consideration. Also, one should not forget copyright. Generally, I consider that with the unregistered design protection. Thanks, Suzanne. So if you are considering unregistered design rights, which are very important in the world of fashion products, it seems that the data-first disclosure is going to be of paramount importance. Can you explain the relevance of those dates and indeed how you search for them? Yes, the data disclosure is essentially the date that the design is first made available to the public. This is crucially important as essentially the clock starts ticking on the availability of unregistered design protection from that date. In the world of fashion, it's usually something that's quite easy to track down as usually the launch of new spring, summer or autumn, winter lines are well documented. This is where you have to slightly go into investigator mode. Um, and if I'm in the office and people are looking at my screen, they often think I'm just watching YouTube videos or shopping. But if you can identify the exact launch, or in some cases where the design has been a relaunch of a historical design, this can be particularly key for establishing that unregistered design protection may no longer apply um, or to help establish what, if any, rights are remaining. Uh, so, Suzanne, does Brexit come into play when you're considering all these design rights? And can you briefly explain uh, the impact of Brexit on your analysis? Yeah. So Brexit has had the greatest impact on unregistered design protection, making what was once just EU unregistered design protection to three different considerations following the end of the transitional period, as discussed previously. And so consideration has to be made of the product launch date. It's noteworthy that UK continuing design right will shortly become irrelevant, given that this would only last three years from December 2020. So from the end of this year, things will be a little bit simpler and the availability of this right will fall away. With this, the rights we will have to pay attention to will just be EU unregistered design right and UK supplementary design right affording the same protection and then UK unregistered design right alongside this. At the moment, however, attention has to be paid to the exact date of the launch um, to establish which rights exactly would apply. So does the nationality of the prior rights holder have an impact on design rights, Suzanne? Yes, in particular on UK um, unregistered design right, this is all, there's always been a nationality requirement. This did used to include at the EU, but following Brexit, that's fallen away. And so essentially the scope is much less widely available on UK unregistered design right. You've no doubt come across lots of registered designs in your searches. So in your opinion, what would you say are the good and bad practices you have seen in such registrations? 
A common theme I've noticed is the use of photographs, which I would generally consider to be bad practice. I can understand the attraction um, as these are the easiest to provide for a design filing, especially if you have multiple products launching. However, the scope of a photo, particularly in colour, the protection very much lies in the photograph as a whole, and so it can make for a very narrow field of enforceable protection. The best protection is certainly what I would advise for clients is views that are line drawings and to create layers of protection, utilising dashed lines to disclaim certain elements and claim other aspects of the design, as well as the design as a whole. So essentially through multiple filings creates different layers of protection. Although it takes more work, it's really thinking about what will be key to you to make your design iconic and identifiable and then carving out those elements is the key to good design protection. And it's really where the value lies. Essentially, whilst they might be easier to get and throwing in a photograph might be easier, it could also become worthless if it's not well thought out. Suzanne, you've mentioned searching for registered trademarks earlier in the podcast and the potential for some fashion designs to be protected by goodwill. Can you explain the difficulties of obtaining such rights in the world of fashion? It is possible to obtain trademark protections for things such as position marks without naming names, but for example, where a certain symbol might go on a shoe. Or in some cases, if you can establish that a certain design has become identifiable as a badge of origin, then trademark protection may be afforded, so you can never, never fully rule that out. With passing off, the same principle can apply. Um, If you can establish goodwill in the product and that this is associated with the business itself, this is notoriously difficult to assert, but it's certainly not impossible. And there are products out there that you can easily categorise into this realm so it can just never be ruled out as a consideration. Thanks very much, Suzanne, for answering our questions and being our special guest today. We hope that you've enjoyed this 18th Fashionably IP podcast and more will follow in the months to come. Please also feel free to share this podcast and rate it on the various platforms where you can also find our back catalogue of all of our prior podcasts. Please also note that the HGF IP in Retail Conference will now take place in London on Monday the 13th of November 2023 because we had to move from the original date of the 4th of October due to a national rail strike. Our conference in Manchester was very successful and had great attendance, so if you want to come along to the London conference, please do sign up. It is designed for in-house counsel and will deal with some issues of the fashion sector, one notable issue being the issue of quiet luxury, which our HGF colleagues Lauren Summers and Emma Pallister are going to discuss. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you and goodbye.